Who were the people of Jesus? The lame, the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the unloved. Why did he gather these? Because following Jesus is not a power trip. It is a journey of grace. How amazing it is to have such a partner for our lives. How wonderful to be called beloved by a God who shares every step with us as we struggle, doubt, fear. How great this grace that keeps us moving toward the kingdom, whether we run or walk or stumble along. Please join Pastor Glenn Thomas as we find our way through life together. Great is the Lord, He is holy and just, by His power we trust in His love. Great is the Lord, He is faithful and true. Our verses today from Psalms 96. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, more to be feared than all gods. As for all the gods of the nations, they are but idols. But you, O Lord, have made the heavens. Majesty and magnificence are in your presence. Power and splendor are in your sanctuary. The singularity of God is kind of a constant in the scriptures. There's always only one God, and and most of the scripture seems to be this case that God is God, that the Lord is God, the God that we worship is the only God. This, of course, despite the fact that the Hebrew word God, Elohim, is actually plural. And there are other mentions of other gods with a small g, uh, but those mentions are just to remind us that those gods don't really exist. They're just idols, they're fabrications, they're myths and fantasies that humans have made up, and they are not worthy of worship. And and the and the core of the creed of the Old Testament is what we call the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter six: "The Lord is our God; the Lord is one." In all of this, we're reminded that there's more at stake here than just idolatry. Not just that we worship things that aren't worthy of worship; that we put our trust in gods that aren't worthy of our trust, but that we fully put our trust only in God. It's not that we don't divide it up correctly. It's not that God comes out first. It's that God comes out only as our God. And and I suppose that seems simple enough at at this level. But in the context of this psalm, it takes on a much deeper meaning. The beginning of the psalm of these words, sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, this psalm is post-exilic, that is, it is written uh, during and after the time of the Israelites' exile in into Babylon and during their return to Jerusalem and their efforts to rebuild their home, their community, their city, their temple. And, and it is a reminder that in the midst of this very difficult time, that in their pain and in their grief as they're trying to recover from their suffering, that they are to be mindful of how great God is. And that can be challenging. Often when things are difficult, when times are bad, there's this voice in us that says, God, where are you? And God, why can't you rise above these circumstances? And God, why can't you make these troubles go away? And there is that little bit of doubt that gnaws at the edges of our faith and makes us wonder. But that's what faith is about, is about glorifying God in this moment, too. Not just when things are great and good and wonderful, not just when we are happy and filled with joy, 
but giving glory to God in the constant struggles of life as we know it. Can we glorify God then? Can we glorify God now? In 2020, in the midst of all of our troubles, can we still be mindful that God is great, worthy of our praise, greater than all of our troubles, greater than all of our fears, greater than all of our misgivings? Can we place God above all other things? It would be good for us to constantly ponder on that possibility. Let's pray. Ever-living God, the heavens were glad and the earth rejoiced when you sent your Son, the incarnate Word, to dwell with us. Help us to proclaim your glory to those who do not know you until the whole earth sings a new song to you. With your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A word today is gadol, a simple word. It means great. It is a word that is constantly applied, of course, to the Lord our God. He is a great God. At the root, this ancient root of this word, is this notion of growing up, of becoming. Uh, the word is a comparative, not necessarily just a specific quality, uh, so much as it is a word that describes an object in relationship to every other object. Or in this case, a word that is used to describe the Lord our God versus all other gods, all idols, all false faiths, all uh, wrong paths. Uh, and so when, when that word is used in, in combination with other ideas, it, it has that quality then of, of pointing to God, uh, not just as how great he is, but how much more great, how much more anything that he might be. So, for example, the psalmist would talk about God as being revered, or he's given reverence, which is a way of describing how you place something up above other things. This is uh, more holy. This is more special. That's why we revere it. Or he has honor and majesty. And again, those are adornments, uh, improvements, qualities that are added uh, to what always is. Which, of course, then leads us to this question, particular in our time, but particular in all difficult times. Is God greater than whatever else is going on? Is God greater than our problems? Is God greater than disasters? And, and that's where faith becomes so terribly important. Not just that we have a God that we worship, but that we worship this God because he is greater. He is more powerful. He is, more, he is stronger and more faithful than all of the other challenges that we find in life and in the world. And, he, and when we are where we are, when we are caught up in our struggles, when we're exhausted uh, by the things that are demanded of us, both uh, as disciples and just simply as people, we are called to raise up our eyes, to lift up our vision to that which is great, that which was, which is above, that which is more, and to be mindful that there is greatness. There is something better. It is so easy in hard times to get mired in the tragedies of life, 
to get weighed down and burdened by the grief that we bear, to become focused on our pain and on our loss and on our poverty. That's why we praise God in our faith. That's why we name him as great, to draw us out of the smallness of our life and remind us that we are part of something bigger, something more awesome, something more powerful. Because if the Lord our God is great and he has named us as his own, then we are drawn toward that greatness as well. Then we become a part of this kingdom which is greater than the things of this world. Faith moves us in a direction that it lifts us up and out of our problems where we may celebrate what God has given us even as we struggle in the midst of the world in which we live. In our ongoing conversation about racism and spirituality today, I'm going to spend a little time on the idea of diversity. Maybe I should say on the biblical concept of diversity. Because it seems wired into God's word. Certainly wired into the creation. As you read through both the Genesis 1 and the Genesis 2 creation stories, the word you keep stumbling upon is every. God made every a reminder of, of all of the different kinds of plants and animals and birds, creatures, uh, of all the things that God made. And then there were everything. So it was never just a thing. There were always many things. And then, of course, we get into the story of Noah, for example, and the flood and how every kind of animal was brought aboard the ark and how important it was to get this wide, large, diverse group of creatures together uh, to be saved. And that diversity holds still through all of the biblical stories. And then when we come to the Psalms, we discover that diversity is part of what is praiseworthy about God. In fact, it is the diversity of the creation that does the praising. So we would read in Psalms 148, praise God, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens. Uh, Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters, and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind, mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and cattle, creeping things, flying birds, and then even into people, kings of the earth, princes and rulers, young men and women alike, old and young, together. The creation itself is a celebration of diversity and a testimony to God's love of diversity, that he made the world to be abundant and how that diversity functions at so many different levels, both in the flora and in the fauna and in the people themselves. All of this diversity is a tribute to God. And so when we work against diversity, when we ignore it, when we disdain it, then we are disdaining the very creation, the very world that God made us to live in, we are disdaining ourselves. And how can that possibly be faithful? Which brings me to the story of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, this launching of the Christian community, this first moment of the apostolic community as they are about to begin the process of letting the world know about Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead, and what that means and how that salvation now is going to flow to every corner of the creation. 
And as you will remember the story, there was this large crowd. It says there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. It's the time of Pentecost. It's a major festival, and people have been gathered from all these different nations. And so the disciples get up, and they start to speak. They start to preach. They start to tell the message. And Acts tells us that the sound of this, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? It's important, I think, for us to note that the real miracle of Pentecost is not that the disciples can speak so many different languages. It's that all of these different people with different native tongues can hear what the disciples are telling them. It's the hearing that's the miracle, that this very diverse group of languages, and, and it goes out even to spell them all out, to make this long list of all of these different languages and places that these people are from. No matter who they are or where they are from, this vast, diverse audience can all hear this one message in their own native tongue. They don't have to become like the disciples. They don't have to all be the same in order to hear the story of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. That story is hearable. That story is translatable to them, to whoever they are, exactly as they are. This gathering, this gathering, this diverse gathering of people is what creates the space that is necessary for the gospel to be the gospel. That it is a message for everyone as they are. That it is a reminder that God's love is not conditional on who we are, where we come from, what language we speak, what race we belong to, and on and on and on. And, and that diverse space is a requirement that we might hear the fullness of the message of God's love. It's, of course, not a surprise. The prophets have often spoken in the Old Testament about this promise that that God would bring all the nations into his kingdom, that he would bring them to Jerusalem, that he would lead them to Zion. Not that he would transform them suddenly into Hebrews, but that all of the Gentiles, all of the different diverse people all across the world would become a part of this this promise, a part of this world of grace and mercy. And, of course, we see it in Jesus' ministry him, itself. We see it in his travels. We see it how often he crosses boundaries and comports himself among Gentiles, how he speaks to women, how often Samaritans play the role of heroes in his parables and in his stories, how he heals Jewish people and Gentiles alike, because this is where his work happens. I also think that the the crowds that we encounter in the New Testament that gather around Jesus uh, also are pointing us to the the primacy of of diversity as part of the work of ministry that rather than just talking to a few than just talking to this small group of chosen people that Jesus gathers all kinds of people to him that all kinds of people are attracted to his word attracted to his power attracted to his spirit, attracted to the possibility, the life-changing possibility that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. One other story, though, that we must uh, 
talk on if we're going to talk about diversity. And that is this Old Testament story from Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. You might know it. It's read, it reads like this. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower in its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. There's a number of wonderful things happening there and, and depth to this story that we often miss. This is an ancient story. Anything prior to the stories of the patriarchs of Adam, of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, all of those older ancient stories were carried for a long time. It's interesting because it's unique uh, in the culture of the Bible. There's not a story like it in other cultures. Although it has a sort of a Babylonia kind of feel to it. In fact, that's where Shinar is. And it has this sort of Mesopotamian kind of culture to it. This notion of building a city, of building a tower, a ziggurat that would reach up into heavens. But its theme is more parallel to the story of the Garden of Eden. This discovery of Adam and Eve by eating from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and the Lord's response to that of, of what they will become now that they have accomplished this. You have the same experience here where God looks at the tower and says, what will they be able to do? They'll be able to do anything they want to do. And so then intervenes to stop that from happening. This story, of course, performs a theological function. It explains why there are so many different languages in the world. That's probably why it got passed on and on and on in the ancient world. But it has a deep spiritual truth to it that we must not miss. The cost of faithlessness here is broken community. The people are at the beginning one, just as Adam and Eva in the garden are one with God, living with God. But it's this reaching, this grasping, this desire to become independent of God and, and to become powerful unto themselves that sets them against God's will. In both stories, that's the truth. The serpent's lie to Adam and Eve is that you will be like God. The lie told uh, by the people in Shinar is, is that they will make a name for themselves. They'll be able to do as they want to do. And the response to that uh, is this broken community, is this scattering. Not meant necessarily just to be a punishment, but a reminder to us that the more that we make life about ourselves, the farther we move away from one another. The more we make spirituality about some competition to win a place in heaven, to even overcome God himself, 
the more that we break up the relationships that actually matter. Faith calls us to live where we are, uh, to borrow a cliche, to grow where we are planted. And it is our sinful nature that we are never satisfied with that. And because we cannot be satisfied, because we cannot live where we are, because we cannot live with those who live around us, we are constantly tearing down community. We are breaking relationships. We are losing this amazing gift that God has given us. The scattering here is the natural consequence of their actions, as it is always, as it still is. The harder we try to lift ourselves up, the harder it is for us to live together. And in its own way, the the scattering, the, the breaking apart of languages here creates an opportunity for faith to thrive, for us to do the hard work of learning to live within the gift of this amazing and diverse creation that God has given us. It's kind of wonderful how the story of Babel and the story of Pentecost sort of bookend the growth of faith in the world, the coming of the Spirit in the world that God sets up this situation that can only be solved by the gospel, that can only be solved by the promise that comes in Jesus Christ. As we are working to try to find a way to live in the diversity that is our world right now, we start looking for social solutions and political solutions, perhaps we should look to the first solution, which is that in the end we are all one in Jesus Christ that God has brought all of his people together at this place called Calvary, and there he has destroyed the things that separated us and, and drawn us into a brand new kingdom where each of us, as different as we are from the other, can live and share his kingdom together. Let us celebrate the diversity in, with which God made us. Let that be our gift and our strength now as we seek to bring his kingdom to life. This podcast is a ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church, Omaha, Nebraska. It is edited by Rick Swanson, posted and promoted by Jacob York. If you have questions, comments, or topics you'd like to suggest, please write us at beloved at smlutheran.com.